Welcome to Get Your Goat. This is Josh here. And last night, the Buccaneers put a hurt on the Giants. Score could have been even worse than it was. I'm going to get into that. And Brady, still the GOAT, forever the GOAT. Is he on his way to win yet another MVP in the process? Then because of that, Jason Garrett gets fired today. I'm going to react to that and a lot of other NFL news as well. Uh, Some with the Saints, Taysom Hill's new deal. Baker, not caring about Browns fans anymore. Then I'll give you my top five teams in the NFL. And then some other teams that are toast, being competitive with, you know, kind of the final turn of the season as we hit Thanksgiving and have a month left to play in December. Then I'm going to react to LeBron's one-game suspension, deserving of that. Then I'm going to finish up with some college football, two-man race for the Heisman, Shroud, Young, Florida firing Dan Mullen, and if Michigan will be ahead of Cincinnati tonight at number four or not, all that ahead. But let's get started with the giants Bucks Thursday night football or Monday night football game last night. Brilliant play by the Bucks. They got Gronk back, and to me, that was huge because he uh, tied the team for you know the league or tied the team for the most uh, receptions yesterday. He had six. Godwin had six. Mike Evans had six. Leonard Fournette had six. Tom Brady was distributing the ball to his playmakers. Look crisp on the opening drive, opening touchdown drive. Eight plays, 73 yards, made quick work of the Giants defense. And I thought the game was over right away. Penalties on the second drive allowed uh, the Giants to kind of get into field goal range, uh, kick the field goal. Then right after that, 18-play drive for Tampa Bay that ended in a field goal and then a punt. And it's 10-3 Tampa Bay, but most of the game so far was under the control of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Then what looked to be an innocent screen pass or bubble set screen over to Mike Evans. Mike Evans, I don't know if he forgot how to catch wasn't expecting the ball. I don't know what happened, but it just goes right through his hands, right up into the air, and allows the Giants to pick it off, getting down there to the Tampa Bay 5, and they punch it in for a touchdown. So it's 10-10, and you're like, is this the Giants' big break? Uh, I can't put that turnover on Tom Brady. Of course, it is a blemish on his record, but I can't really blame Tom for that one. To me, that's Mike Evans. But after that, it was all Bucks and no Giants outscoring them. After that point, 20 to 0 ensuing drive was a touchdown by the Bucks. It was a great answer because of a play that could deflate you, a tip interception. They do not allow it to deflate you, especially Tom Brady. To me, Tom Brady was locked in. And after that, Daniel Jones in the second half trying to spark the comeback throws two Bad interceptions. One on a screen where he can throw it away. And instead of throwing it away, throws it right to like the defensive lineman 
right there for the interception. I mean, Daniel Jones is such a bad quarterback. He's such a bad quarterback. Uh, it's at that point where he's in a pivotal year. It's year three. We saw Josh Allen last year. We've seen Patrick Mahomes already. Uh, you know, Lamar Jackson, seeing great quarterbacks in year three. You're supposed to see him. Kyler Murray now this year. But Daniel Jones, Daniel Jones is not the guy. It's much like Mitch Trubisky a couple years ago. He wasn't the guy. And look where Mitch Trubisky at. Daniel Jones is at that same level where he has, you know, decent, you know, good arm and he can run as well. But his decision making is terrible. Uh, has problems with timing and accuracy. I just don't think he is fit to be a starting quarterback. In the NFL, last night finished with 167 yards, a touchdown, two interceptions, a QBR of 15, and that's abysmal. That's terrible because for QBR, you get graded on a scale of 0 to 100. 15, that is bad. Uh, Very, very poor. Saquon Barkley came back to kind of provide this team with a lift, and there was no lift given at all. Uh, by him, tweaked his ankle, and he was out uh, for a lot of the snaps. But this New York Giants offense looks inept. Whereas, on the other hand, Tom Brady was crisp, it seemed like, all night. Had the 300 yards, the two touchdowns, a QBR of 65. They took him out near the end of the game. But Leonard Fournette, 10 carries, 35 yards. Now, that's not going to jump out at you. It's not the three and a half. Average yards, you have to respect it. Uh, you just have to, uh, because on that average, that guarantees a first down running the ball three times. But, so with that respect, they were able to open up a play action, which it was then crucial for Gronk. Gronk getting open, some great throws by Tom Brady. But to me, the play of the game was actually a Tom Brady rush for a first down. Uh, his only rush of the game, 10 yards, uh, and he was fired up after it. He went crazy, celebrating, screaming like he just won the game. I mean, he was fired up on another level that I haven't seen him this fired up since the Super Bowl where him and Tyran Matthew, the honey badger, got into it. That's how fired up... Tom was. That's the MVP. That's the contagious type of energy that affects his team. And he slid. That was the only time he was on the ground all night was his own doing. Was in sacked. The protection was great even though Mark Pett got injured. The protection held up uh, with Tom Brady there. Excellent game by Tom Brady. Uh, the Bucks are looking to get back on track. This was a win they needed. Haven't won a game since October 24th. It's been about a month, but they're playing good at home. They're playing good football, I thought, even in the losses. It was a few key tweaks. They're starting to get things together. Next week, huge game at Indianapolis. That is a big telltale sign going on the road to a team that is ascending to see if they can stop Jonathan Taylor and them with that great stout rush uh, defense. But now moving back to the Giants. Because of this, Jason Garrett is fired after 26 games 
as offensive coordinator of the Dallas Cowboys. And Brian Greasy, uh, commentating from a Monday Night Football yesterday, made a great point uh, saying that with average, mediocre quarterback play, that gets coaches fired, uh, everyone fired. And I agree, and that's what Daniel Jones has done. He's got coaches fired, got the head coach, now he's got this one, uh, his offensive coordinator. It gets everybody uh, fired because you can blame some of it on the scheme, but some of it's just players making plays, and the Giants simply cannot make plays. Daniel Jones just could not do it. Now, did I think Jason Garrett was the greatest offensive coordinator hire? Or the best one out there. No, that's why the Dallas Cowboys moved on from him. But, you know, you've already had a new head coach in this system. Now you're going through more new coordinators. It gets to the point where you've got to put the blame on Daniel Jones, on the general manager, David Gettleman, as well, for the pieces around him. To me, it's time for a clean rebuild in the Giants. Very similar Uh to the Detroit Lions, where the Detroit Lions got rid of the quarterback, uh, coordinators, coaches, general manager, everything. It was a legit clean house, not a scent of the previous regime in there. That is how it has to be with the Giants. They've got to get rid of Darius or get rid of Daniel Jones because they signed playmakers for him. They've got Saquon Barkley. They got Devontae uh, Booker, who can is a decent backup to him. They drafted Kadarius Tony. They've got Slayton on the outside as well. You mix in Kenny G, who we went on and signed. Evan Ingram. They've got playmakers. They've built this offense to help Daniel Jones. And he is that same poor quarterback. It is time to move on from the New York Giants. And they need to do a clean sweep like Detroit has done. Now I want to talk about Detroit for a second. I was talking to my family about this yesterday. Uh, because you have the Detroit Lions, who are 0-9-1. And And to me, they're not the worst team out there. To me, I feel like they could beat the Texans or the Jags or any one of those teams. They have one tie, and a lot of their games have been close. The Browns this past week lost by three points. The Rams, they lost by nine points, but that game was much closer the whole way. Vikings lost on a game-ending field goal. The Bears was 10 points. The Ravens game-ending field goal. Lions were right there with the Packers at halftime. They were actually leading at halftime, 17-14. to And then against the 49ers, they lost by 8 points. So this is a very competitive team. As I said, the Lions have the worst roster in the NFL. To me, they just do uh, from top to bottom. I believe if they had a different quarterback, uh, they definitely have won some football games by now. But I was a staunch objector to Dan Campbell this offseason. Did not like anything I saw from him or what he said. However, the way he is coaching games, uh, the sort of motivational leader that he is as well, to me, it's got me thinking that, you know what, he is a decent coach. He just doesn't have the talent around him right now, but he is competing at the highest level in the National Football League. And to me, he's doing a good job at it, even though he doesn't have one win so far this season. 
So why am I talking about this? Well, they loaded up on draft picks for this year and next year, especially through a trade of Matthew Stafford. So they, to me, have to nail this upcoming draft, the 2022 draft, and then they have the 2023 draft as well. And the 2022 draft, to me, it's a great uh, draft class for defense, Lions need defense. So to me, they can go out there, get some defenders, get a wide receiver as well. Then the next year is when I'm going to start looking at quarterbacks and Jets when Jared Goff's contract expires. That's when I know, hey, Bryce Young, Alabama, C.J. Stroud, Ohio State, are both some names that I want. Heisman contenders right now. If I can assemble this roster, have a young quarterback in the next two years, I said, give Detroit three years, they'll be playoff contenders. They really will. I firmly believe that, that the great job that Campbell has done already coaching, that in a few years, I'm going to say three years, the Lions will be in the playoffs. I'm going to give it three years. And then soon after that, I believe with the names they have, signing some free agents, they can be legitimate Super Bowl contenders, and to me this lines up perfectly. Because I'm saying three three years playoffs, more realistically like four or five for the Super Bowl. Three to five years. At that time, you got Aaron Rodgers. I believe he's like 38. He's going to be already in his 40s at that time. 41, 42, 43. Not going to be the same player he was. I don't envision him being Tom Brady. Con artist Kirk will be three years older. I don't think he's going to be one that lasts into his 40s as well. So really, you have an up-and-coming giant or Bears with Justin Fields, and who knows what they'll do with Matt Nagy. I've been talking about firing him for a while. But the Lions are setting themselves up for a good spot in the future. I really like what the Lions are doing. Now moving on to the Saints. The Saints' uh, tight end... Injured, uh, Troutman, I believe, is out uh, four to six weeks. Now, is this the best uh, tight end out there? No, he's not the best tight end. But I'm saying this because the Saints are dealing with a plethora of injuries. Alvin Kamara has missed the past two games of your star running back. Your quarterback, Jameis Winston, tore his ACL he's done for the season. You have key offensive linemen out, Ramchek, Armstead. So this is a depleted team, and they also play on Thanksgiving night. Thursday night, and then another one as well, Landon Young, another offensive tackle for the Saints. Foot surgery, he's done for the year. This is a lot of injuries the Saints have to deal with. And it's all coming at the worst time when they were one game, a half game back of the Bucks for the division all these injuries pile up. You've lost two in a row. Now it's going to be tough to even make the playoffs. So I feel for the Saints, it's just all these little injuries that are piling up on them and are going to hinder them moving forward. But on the bright side, Saints fans, Taysom Hill agrees to a four-year extension that pays him according to his position. So, for example... He will make $40 million over the next four years if he remains in his current role as backup quarterback, running back, wide receiver, and tight end, as well as special teams ace. However, it can be worth up to $95 million if he becomes 
the Saints' starting quarterback over the next four years. Now look at that. $40 million all the way to $95 million. I think if I was Taysom Hill, I would be working on my quarterback skills every day knowing Jameis is injured. I can't let Trevor Simeon get this job. I need to be out there every day practicing. I want to make $55 million more dollars than I do now. Moving on. Baker saying he doesn't care about the Brown stands and their booing. Don't really care. It's been a rough year for Baker and the Browns. It really has. It really has. People, a lot of people like myself, had the Browns as one of the best teams I had been going to the AFC Championship game and losing. But right now, I believe they're sitting at uh, six and five in the AFC North, uh, which is, happens to be last in their own division, and out of the playoffs. To me, this is not a good look for Baker. The season hasn't gone well. You haven't particularly performed well. You've dealt with injuries as well all year long. So to come out and say those are probably the same fans that won't be quiet while we're on offense and trying to operate, so don't really care, end of quote. To me, this is just frustration. You skipped your post-game interview, then afterwards, the day after, you say that. You rank 27th in QBR. You just haven't been good. Haven't. It's... And a lot of it is on, you know, I believe the team and all the injuries they face, the inconsistencies, uh, Nick Chubb being out a few games, Kareem Hunt, it's detrimental. Because what I've learned is Baker Mayfield is not the star of this team. This isn't the Oklahoma Baker Mayfield where he was air rating it, spread offense, Cliff King, or my bad, Lincoln Riley, you know, winning the Heisman. That is not this quarterback anymore. This is a quarterback that is reliant, dependent on having star running backs, a star offensive line, run game that is number one, play action. That is who Baker Mayfield has to come to. A lot of quarterbacks can do that. We saw Case Keenum back up Baker Mayfield and do that. So Baker's not the star of a team He's not, to me, the franchise leader. I'd, I'd have Nick Chubb or even Miles Garrett uh, above Baker in terms of you know star Browns players that I really don't want leaving. Uh, even some of their tackles, you know, Conklin on the right side there. So Baker, I get it, but at the same time, you're not the most important piece. If you're frustrated, you're injured, you need to be man enough to shut it down and turn over the reins to someone else. But as I watched Man in the Arena and Drew Bledsoe losing his job to a rookie quarterback, I have a feeling that is most people's fear. Is, hey, I'm a decent quarterback. I'm the number one pick. I'm in line for an extension. I need to play through all these injuries because if I don't and the team performs well, I'm expendable, and they could replace me. So I totally get it. I totally get where Baker is coming from. Uh, 
Is that what he's thinking? No. Don't know of a guy. But I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of these quarterbacks that can't suit up, that are bouncing below that average mediocre threshold, definitely feel that way. Like, this is my spot. I know I'm not as good as Drew Bledsoe, but I want that security. So, Baker, think it's time to get off the horse and either play and suit up or stopping a detriment to this team. Again, another news. Surgery was going to end Seahawks cornerback Trey Brown season. Now, Trey Brown's been amazing. The secondary for Seattle has been porous, very, very poor all season long. They've had no playmakers. But the emergence of Trey Brown has been amazing for this team. It has helped them out, helped this defense out a ton in order to get back to an average level of play that wasn't the league worst. So that was big. That was big. Now it's over. This hurts this team who is already sitting at 3-7. and 3-7. and seven. And you'll lose one of your top cornerbacks. This does not help this case at all for the Seattle Seahawks moving forward and this season. Now, with all that, Week 11 in the books, who are my top five teams through 11 weeks and the NFL. Number five, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Yes, after a few losses, they just missed out on my rankings, but they are back. Tom Brady is back, only quarterback to throw for over 3,000 yards this season. He's thrown 27 touchdowns, leading the league in that. He has been brilliant. The rush defense, good as well. They've got playmakers on the outside. they got a championship caliber team, a roster, coach, all that. They're back in the win column. They're sitting at 7-3, and three, right there in the NFC, ready to make a jump to the one seed. This is a great team. To me, the best roster in the NFL. And if they get it flowing, this will be the number one team end of the year. Number four, Los Angeles Rams. The bye week could not come at a better time for the Rams, who are still on a two-game losing streak because of the bye. They were at 7-1, and one, but I got to put them up because I can't just focus on the two weeks and dismiss the previous eight weeks where they were amazing. Matthew Stafford was battling there for the MVP alongside Brady. Cooper Cup as well. The best wide receiver in football just this year, based on the stats alone, he has been that way. The defense, Aaron Donald, still disruptive. Jalen Ramsey, it is hard to throw the football his way, and he's been a monster in his kind of new star position. So I got to have the Rams there at four. And then at three is the Tennessee Titans. We're right there at number two, and they suffer a huge Huge loss to the Tennessee Titans. I mean, I my bad. The Tennessee Titans cannot suffer a loss to themselves. 
Uh, they lost to the Houston Texans. That was a huge loss uh, for the Titans, who saw Ryan Tannehill throw five interceptions because now it sets up a more difficult road uh, to the number one seed moving forward. But I look at the teams they've played, and they've beat the Colts this year. They've beat the Bills, or they beat the Colts twice. They beat the Bills, they beat the Chiefs, the Rams. They've handled all those teams. So these slip-ups to the Jets or the Texans, where it's a lot of turnovers that force you to lose this game, I'm not going to focus on that because to me those are little blips. Yes, Derrick Henry's out. But Ryan Tannehill cutting down the turnovers easily would have won this game. They'll still win a lot of more games. Moving forward, I believe the defense is still, I believe, much better than last year. And because of that, they will be a tough out come playoff time. Number two, the Green Bay Packers. Yes, even on a loss, they only get to drop down one. In which to me was a great performance by Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers did not let his team down, throwing for 385 yards, four touchdowns, putting them back in the full MVP conversation as well. This was the defense, and this defense has been top five all year long. They've been fantastic. But now, how will they deal with adversity moving forward? Big loss that they just suffered to a divisional rival. They come back at home against the Rams. That's my second team and my fourth team playing it out. How will this one fare in Lambeau? How will the defense fare against the high-flying offense? Will they be able to stop the Rams like the 49ers and the Titans have? Or will they have trouble? This is a huge test to that Packers D. And number one, by default, by just having a 9-2 record, is the Arizona Cardinals, who have done very respectable since Kyler Murray has been injured the past three weeks. They've been 2-1. and one. Really, not a close game against the 49ers, 31-17. Then got decimated by the Panthers last week. And on Sunday, they really romped the Seahawks. I know it was a 10-point game, but Matt Prater makes his field goals. You know, they went 30-13 to 13 in a game that really wasn't close. The defense seems to step up and rise to the occasion for the most part. Really like that. Even if JJ's out or other playmakers, they find a way to win on defense. That is the key because the defense travels. Uh, Colt McCoy has done just fine. Kyler Murray comes back. DeAndre Hopkins comes back. It will unlock this offense to another level, but I have to put the Cardinals there at number one. So those are my top five teams in the NFL. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers, the Los Angeles Rams, the Tennessee Titans, the Green Bay Packers, and the Arizona Cardinals. Now, a couple teams I want to talk about in the NFL still. The Miami Dolphins. I wrote out the Miami Dolphins at 1-7, said they're done, they're over, you know, just trade for Deshaun. Or else Tua has to put in some great games. Since then, the Dolphins have gotten 3-0, beating two bad teams in the Texans and the Jets, but beating a decent one in the Baltimore Ravens. Now they're sitting at 4-7. and They're not out yet. They'll need some help if they were to win out. 
But they got some divisional games left against the Jets, the Patriots, which could be huge. They got the Panthers coming up. This is a pivotal game for them. For Tua, who's played great on this three-game winning streak, or on the he played two in the Ravens and the Jets. Uh, this defense has played much better, much improved under Flores, kind of resembled last year. Can the Miami Dolphins have sort of a second-half resurgence? AFC North, who will win it? Toss-up, Baltimore, Cincinnati, Pittsburgh, Cleveland. My money's still on Cincinnati. Cincinnati and Baltimore still play each other one more time. Ravens have a difficult schedule. Still have to play the Steelers twice, the Rams, and the Packers. That's a gauntlet of the schedule, whereas Cincinnati, yes, they face the Ravens one more time, but they also get the Broncos, the 49ers uh, in there. So I do think the Bengals will steal the division this year. AFC West, to me it's coming down to one game. One game, that's Thursday Night Football, December 16th. Chiefs and Chargers, that will decide the division. Once the Chiefs have their bye week, they will no longer be the number one team in the division if uh, the Chargers win because they already own the tiebreak over the Chiefs for beating them. So if they were to beat them going in and essentially have a two-game lead, that would be huge. For the Chargers, to me, that will be the deciding factor in a division. The Chiefs-Chargers Thursday night football game. And then Philly or Washington. Can one of these teams make it to the playoffs in an open wild card? The Eagles have won three out of their last four games. They get the Giants, who are reeling. Then they get the Jets. And then they finish after that, You know, which they should be 7-6. and six. They have four straight games over divisional opponents, two against the football team. So to me, one of these teams could get in. As I said, Washington plays the Seahawks, who are really reeling. They get the Raiders, another team who are reeling. And then they get the uh, Cowboys twice and the Eagles twice. So I think one of these teams gets in. It's going to be strictly on those two games against each other. You know, can the Eagles do it with Jalen Hurts? Can he prove to be the real deal? Can Taylor Heineke prove to be the heel deal? Or Chase Young out? That would be a big step for the football team. Lastly, I've just got to say this again. Seahawks are toast. You know, before the Cardinals game, they were a slight favorite to beat the football team. Now, after that loss... The football team are now favorites to win that game. And to me, the only game the Seahawks should be favored to win moving forward are the Texans and the Lions. I think the Bears could give them a tough time. To me, those are two, you know, equally matched football teams right there. And the Bears and the Seahawks, in terms of coaching, that's just how poor it is. I don't have high hopes for the Seahawks playing teams such as the 49ers. The Rams, the Cardinals moving forward, they're just that poor. It's been a long, frustrating season for Seahawks fans out there, and I don't think it's going to have a good end. As I said, Russell Wilson has to go, or Pete Carroll, maybe both. 
I think that is where we are currently heading as the season will come to an end. Now moving on to the NBA. LeBron gets a one-game suspension for the Isaiah Stewart fiasco the other night. I'm fine with one game. To me, when you get a flagrant two and it's revealed and it's reviewed by the league, to me, I believe a flagrant two, since it is unnecessary, to me kind of warrants a one-game suspension. So I am fine with the one-game suspension on LeBron. I don't believe he should have gotten more because I don't believe it was intentional. I don't believe uh, it was a thought-out, you know, dwelled on by him. I don't think that at all. I don't believe it. I do believe it was just bad timing, bad box out by LeBron James there. I definitely agree. Isaiah Stewart should have gotten more games. I'm not fine with two games uh, because of the insane rage that he went on. He kind of turned into like the Incredible Hulk there, you know, not even in control of his actions. He's just not even thinking. He turns into this green rage monster, trucking coaches and everything in his path to try to get to LeBron James or get to this, you know, whoever. That was a bad look by the NBA, by Isaiah Stewart, especially because his face is all bloody. You know, it looked like, you know, he just got out of a UFC match and it did not need to happen. Uh, LeBron tried to calm the situation down and Isaiah Stewart wasn't having it, probably won't have an apology moving forward. And I don't know, you know, the Lakers play the Pistons in a few weeks, November 28th in Staples. Uh, if I was the league, I'd definitely send a memo to both teams before that game saying, hey, better not be any shenanigans because that might have been the reason I suspend Isaiah Stewart for five or six games so that he does not play in that game. Uh, don't think, you know, I hope nothing happens, but you just never know. But tonight, the Lakers go into the Garden to face the Knicks. And they do not have LeBron James. Just had a great comeback performance against them. Can they hold and carry on against the Knicks? Now, the Knicks have been struggling lately. They opened to me the season so well. And now they've had a few losses to the Bulls, the Magic, the Hornets, the Bucks, it's the Cavs. They've been very inconsistent. But the Lakers have been very inconsistent as well. However, I think the Lakers found something in that brawl. The chemistry that it created. Carmelo Anthony has been sort of a godsend for this team. I think the Lakers get the win in the Garden. They are still on that sort of rallying cry, rallying spirit to sort of win this game without LeBron James knowing he could play tonight. Probably good for him as well. Rest the abdomen yet another game. Uh, before he comes back against Pacers, I believe the Lakers get the win tonight. Then you have the Trailblazers and the Portland, or the Portland Trailblazers and the Denver Nuggets. Nuggets, three-game winning streak. Damian Lillard, to me, slowly returning back to form. However, 
This is where I kind of expected the Trailblazers to be around the 500 mark. I did not expect the Nuggets uh, to be that way. They haven't been able to beat good teams. They haven't been able to beat the Mavs, you know, the Sixers, the Bulls, uh, the Suns. They haven't been able to beat good teams. However, it just seems like they have the Trailblazers number. They beat them earlier so far this year and the playoffs last year. I just feel that some teams don't match up well with other teams. I feel this is the Portland Trailblazers. We have a good team on a three-game win streak, but they don't match up well with the Denver Nuggets, whereas the Denver Nuggets really do favor this matchup. Nikola Jocic, nobody can really stop him. With that being said, I don't think Portland wins this game. I have Denver uh, knocking down the Portland Trailblazers and ending this sort of three-game skid or three-game run that they're on. Now moving on to college football. You've got two Heisman candidates now. You know, you had three. You had Kenneth Walker, C.J. Stroud, and Bryce Young. Now it's sort of over for Kenneth Walker after a abysmal performance against Ohio State where they really didn't get the rushing and going. And they also didn't really uh, keep it going or try to sustain a run game. So he's out of the picture. So it's a two-man race now between the quarterback for Ohio State, freshman C.J. Stroud, and then sophomore Bryce Young. And they both put on virtuoso performance this past week. C.J. Stroud, you know, the sort of 432 yards, six touchdowns, whereas, you know, Bryce Young had, you know, 559 yards and like seven touchdowns. I mean, it was simply brilliant back and forth a type of performance. And to me, they both have two more statement games left. Ohio State, or I should say Bryce Young does, CJ at least has one, maybe two. I believe if CJ Stroud wins out, they beat Michigan, he delivers another type of performance like that, he does it again in the championship game, I believe CJ Stroud gets it. I do. I do. Uh, however, if Bryce Young does it, he's playing Georgia in a few weeks. Nobody's been able to solve the Georgia defense this year. No team's really been able to give them fits. You know, Tennessee, to me, gave them the most opening, and they kind of rebounded and put a kibosh to that. I think just if Bryce Young, I think if Bryce Young shows out and they win that game because of Bryce Young, you have to give it to Bryce. It's just a default. Nobody's been able to solve this. You know, if they run the ball a lot and Bryce Young doesn't do a lot, probably still give it to Stroud. But they still have two games left on their resume, uh, per se, for them. But this is going to be a great performance. Bryce Young, uh, highest-rated quarterback by Pro Football Focus. He's been simply amazing this year for the Crimson Tide. So it is going to be a great race. However, if it was just right now I had to put my vote in, I'd probably put it in for C.J. Stroud for Ohio State because he's been great, just great the past you know, eight games or so. This is a different Ohio State team uh, that has been, I can't believe I'm saying this, but 
fun to watch because of the talent that they have all around. Now, Florida. Five-year head coach, Dan Mullen. Forgot to talk about that yesterday. But Dan Mullen in Florida. Oh, I feel so bad. They were on the cusp of the national championship. They play LSU. I forget what bonehead throws the shoe of the LSU player. And because of that, Florida loses that game. They go on to play Alabama. And I know they lose by six, but it really wasn't close. Then this year, you know, they're five and six. And they've just been terrible in about every game except for the game against Alabama. So with all that... Now you have recruits decommitting. I think you've had five and you've had three since this. Florida, this is timely. You need to come in and right this ship as fast as you can. Because it's not going to look any pretty. The way Georgia's playing, they're about to get more recruits. You need to hire somebody. I mean, South Carolina looks improved in there. In a few years, you're adding Georgia, Oklahoma. Florida has to hire a coach for, you know, as the AD put it, sustained success. So that it's not just the one great year Florida had and in between all those other years. They were just simply all right. They want sustained greatness. And that's the hardest thing to do in college football. I've watched college football now for a while. And really outside of Clemson and Alabama... And really, Ohio State, I'll throw in there. It's been hard for teams to enjoy a long period of success where you just feel good for 10 years. You know, as a Michigan fan, I felt I feel good a few years. 2016 was probably the last year I felt really good. This year, I feel more confident. But you have Notre Dame, uh, who has sustained success, but they're not a championship level team, even over success, they're not a championship level team where you expect to win the national championship every year. Uh, you've had a couple good seasons from Cincinnati. Before that, you had the UCF team. Uh, Oregon is sprinkled in a season uh, here or there. Florida State had a couple runs in the middle of the past decade. So it is very hard to have sustained success in college football where there is a high turnover of players. But... With that being said, Florida needs to find a guy and I need and find a guy quickly to keep the remaining recruits that are already on this team and not have any more uh, decommitting uh, from the program because that will just set your program back light years behind the other teams in the SEC. And then my biggest question tonight, college football playoff rankings tonight. I gave my rankings yesterday saying... One Georgia, two Ohio State, three Alabama, four Michigan, five Cincinnati, six Oklahoma State. I'd be fine if Notre Dame gets in at six as well. That won't bother me. But my two biggest questions are this to the committee. Is would you put Ohio State above Alabama? And would you put Michigan above Cincinnati? And I say this because, you know, half of me thinks this way. It's all going to work out. It's all going to play itself out. You know, Michigan will play Ohio State this week. The following week, Georgia plays Alabama. So it's going to play itself out. But let's say, you know, it didn't 
and these were the four teams we had to pick, and they were going to the playoff. There was no more two weeks. How would I rank it? How would I set it up? And that's how I kind of gave my rankings yesterday. And this was to me was Cincinnati's best performance of a season. Michigan had theirs, and I broke down the efficiency that Michigan's more efficient than uh, the Bearcats' offense. The same on defense. Michigan's the best special teams. The resume, the strength of schedule. Nobody has a better strength of schedule in the top five for those teams other than Alabama. Uh, Cincinnati's way, way low on the list. Then, you know, you look at the average scoring margin. Michigan's higher at 20.6, and they've played a tougher schedule. You look at the S&P and the tempo. Michigan's right there at four behind those teams. And kind of every metric you're looking at, Michigan's number four in literally every metric, the resume, the FPI, the S&P, everything you have one Georgia, two Ohio State, three Alabama, four Michigan. So even in the eye test, through the 10, 11 games I've watched, both teams, even though Michigan has a loss, Michigan is a better team for Cincinnati. So if Cincinnati wins and gets in at four tonight, what is the reasoning for having Cincinnati four? And hopefully they don't keep Alabama at two, because what's the reasoning for having Alabama to below Ohio State. To me, those are big questions. Those are things I'm going to key in on the committee in here. You know, if the questions are presented is the Alabama, Ohio State at two and three, and then the Michigan, Cincinnati at four and five. Those are the biggest questions, I believe, and should get answered tonight. And then I just want to wrap up with one thing. College basketball, the rankings came out yesterday. Michigan dropped 16 spots. They are the biggest dropper. They dropped from number four to number 20. The only two lost, or my bad, they are one of the two lost teams in the poll. Villanova is 3-2, and two, but they're at 7. I think that's a little generous to keep them there. Michigan, I get it. They haven't looked good. The biggest riser, however, is Arizona. And guess what? They beat Michigan. So at least it shows that they really value Michigan. Drop them the most, raise Arizona the most. So we'll see how that goes. But tonight is, to me, the at least so far, and I think could shape up for the rest of college basketball. Is this, so far is the biggest college basketball game of the season. You've got number one Gonzaga playing number two UCLA. Number one versus number two. And I got UCLA winning. Why? They have the home court advantage in UCLA. I watched them beat Villanova a few weeks ago, and that place was a madhouse. I can see UCLA having that same energy. Also, this was a team that they lost to in the Final Four. Gonzaga with that crazy shot by Jalen Suggs, buzzer beater shot. I think they go in their UCLA. It's in their stadium. They beat Gonzaga. Johnny Juzang, Jaime Jaquez, uh, this team, UCLA, is together. I believe Drew Timmy will have a good game. But I believe the guard play of UCLA 
will be even better. They upset Gonzaga here tonight in a huge, huge matchup. Number one versus number two. This has been Get Your Goat. Who are your top five teams of the NFL so far? Is it right? Should the Giants hit a hard reset as well? Come back more tomorrow. I will be discussing all the matchups for college football and the NFL. There is a lot to talk about regarding that. Bye, everybody.